Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. While you're turning there, I want to thank Chris for your warm welcome and hospitality. It's wonderful to be back at Westminster Church. About 30 years ago, the pastor and leadership of this church and the pastor and leadership of Christ's Covenant in Charlotte came to Luther Whitlock and said, we need Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. And so we've been in Charlotte for about 30 years now in large measure because of this congregation. And so it's always a delight to be with you here. I'm so appreciative of your pastor. Mike Honeycutt is an old dear friend. He went to Clemson with my brother-in-law, Bill Harley. And then when I was at the University of Edinburgh, Uh, finishing my PhD, uh, Mike came to do uh, his PhD there. So lots of connections over the years. And and as Chris said, I've had the opportunity to interact with Chris uh, during his time when he was uh, leading academics at uh, Covenant Seminary. Uh, We have lots of mutual friends uh, that have served the Lord in that way. So it's great to be with you today. I also was looking on your website to see what the sermons have been like for the last several months and noticed that you have been studying uh, up until pretty recently some of the parables in Luke, which is great because that ties into what we're going to do today. In fact, as you look at Luke 19, we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus in verses 1 to 10. Allow your eyes, before I start reading, allow your eyes to notice... um, a parable and two stories that are told in Luke 18, because there's a connection. Uh, You remember Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector going up to the temple to pray. Then his encounter with the rich young ruler happens in Luke 18. And then blind Bartimaeus, Luke doesn't name him, but Mark does, the blind man in Jericho is the last story in Luke 18. That it's all tied in to what happens in this story of Zacchaeus. So let's look at Luke 19 together and hear the Word of God. And before we do, let's pray and ask for His help and blessing. Heavenly Father, uh, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So speak, Lord, your servants listen. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Word of God. Hear it in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. I am pretty sure that my first memory of this story comes either from vacation Bible school or from Sunday school when we sang, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know the song, don't you? You know it. Yeah. And because of that, Zacchaeus has always been a sympathetic figure to me, right? You know, he's, a, he's the little short guy trying to see Jesus. You're kind of on his side. You're really happy when Jesus shows up at the tree and calls him down because he's a sympathetic figure. But not in this story. This really happened. This is, this is not a parable. This is something that happened during Jesus' ministry. He's passing through Jericho on the way to die for us on the cross in Jerusalem. And he has an encounter first with a blind man in Jericho, and then he has an encounter with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was not highly thought of in his community. Uh, Zacchaeus was hated, and you, you've even seen a little bit of that reaction in the story. Uh, he was viewed as a sellout and a traitor and an ungodly man, and that's very much the point of the story. And so today, I want you to look at the story of Zacchaeus, maybe with fresh eyes, because maybe like you in, uh, uh, indicated to me when you sang along with that little song, uh, the song has sort of colored the way we look at Zacchaeus and maybe blinded us to how amazing this story is. And I'd like you to see three or four things in this passage today. First, I want you to see that Zacchaeus was an unlikely candidate for salvation. Then I want you to see the dramatic conversion of Zacchaeus. Then I want you to see the sad reaction of the people in Jericho to this. And finally, and most importantly, I want you to see the seeking Savior that we have in Jesus. So, an unlikely candidate, a dramatic conversion, a sad reaction, and a seeking Savior. Uh, Zacchaeus, in this story, is called a chief tax collector. Now, you meet tax collectors in various places in the gospel, and even as I mentioned back in Luke 18, you met a tax collector who had gone to the temple to pray. But this is the only time in the gospels that the term chief tax collector is used. So he was the head honcho tax collector for Jericho, which in part explains why he's so rich, because Jericho was a very important commercial town. A lot of people were passing through Jericho, and there was a lot of taxation there. And, and apparently Zacchaeus was in charge of it all, which means he got a cut of what the other tax collectors under him collected. The way taxes were collected in those days is the tax collectors 
collected what was owed to the Roman government, and then they took a percentage on top of that. There was supposed to be a set percentage. Tax collectors were famous for collecting more than they were supposed to collect. So there were a number of things going on. Not only people have never loved paying taxes, right? There's never been a time where people said, oh, that's great, let's pay some taxes. So you're already unpopular when you're the person who's collecting the taxes. But on top of this, he was a tax collector for the Roman government, which was a pagan occupying government. And religious people in Israel resented it and they resented anyone who colluded and cooperated with the Romans. And so Zacchaeus, though he was a Jewish man, was viewed as a sellout by the people in his community because he was, he was in cahoots with the Romans collecting taxes. I, I, I was trying to think, how would I illustrate this? It, it would be like if the United States had been occupied during the Cold War by the Soviet Union and there was somebody in Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church that was helping collect taxes for uh, the, the Soviet Union in Rock Hill, probably other members wouldn't be super excited about that. And that's the kind of thing uh, that Zacchaeus faced in this, in this setting. He is not a likely candidate for salvation. He's viewed with contempt by the people around him. And uh, and by the way, if you go back and look at the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18, you'll see that the disciples thought that the rich young ruler was a very likely candidate for salvation. And they were shocked when he turned away from Jesus and went away sorrowful. And you'll remember what Jesus says to them, it's really hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, well, if this this man, he's godly, he's upright, he's a synagogue elder, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says, it's impossible with men. It's impossible with it. It takes a work of God to save a person. And then, of course, you're told immediately in Luke 19, Zacchaeus was rich. So not only is he viewed with suspicion by his contemporaries and considered a sinner, he's a rich man, and Jesus has already said in Luke 18, it's really hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. And indeed, that rich young ruler has gone away because he had many riches, Luke has told us that explicitly. So you're not thinking anything is going to happen with Zacchaeus in this encounter. But lo and behold, this man is desirous to see Jesus. He seeks Jesus. He climbs up into that tree, and what eventuates is a dramatic conversion. And I I want you to see what happens. Look at verse 5. Jesus comes to the exact place where Zacchaeus is, and he calls him by name. Now, I don't know whether this is miraculous or whether, you know, Zacchaeus may have been notorious enough that Jesus had heard his name or knew about him. But whatever the case is, this is a divine appointment. When we talk about divine appointments, this is a divine appointment. Jesus shows up, says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So uh, Jesus comes looking for Zacchaeus, and notice verse 6, Zacchaeus does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. 
Hurry and come down, Zacchaeus, Jesus says. And Zacchaeus hurries and comes down. He does exactly what Jesus told him to do. And then look at these words, and received him joyfully. Now, that's very, very important because if you look back at Luke chapter 18, verse 23, when Jesus issued his invitation to the rich young ruler, he went away sorrowfully. Whereas when Jesus extends his invitation to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. There's the conversion of Zacchaeus right there. Jesus changed his heart and changed his life just like that. There's a dramatic conversion, and it shows in his life, by the way. You know, he, he stands up when, Z, when Jesus is in, is in the house, and he says, look, uh, I am going to give away half of my goods to the poor. Notice he doesn't say half of my salary, half of my goods. He's going to give away half of his possessions to the poor. So he, here was a man who was rich, but unlike the rich young ruler who was in bondage to his wealth, when he encountered Jesus, Jesus set him free from his love of money. So he's going to now utilize what the Lord has given him in abundance to help the poor. And then he says, and, and I, love, I love the way he puts this, and if I have defrauded anyone, you know, like, what do you mean if you have defrauded? The only reason you say this is because you have, right? So I, I, I realize I've defrauded people. And so what I'm going to do, he says, what does he say? Verse 8, I'm going to restore it fourfold. So I, I'm going to give to the people that I have taken money from that I shouldn't have taken. I'm going to give them back four times what I took from them. Now, by the way, that is far more than the Mosaic Law required. The Mosaic Law did require restitution um, and, and, and over and above restitution for stealing. And the Pharisees had an even more uh, stringent requirement for what you were supposed to do when you had stolen. But Zacchaeus, when he says, I'm going to give it back fourfold, goes way beyond anything even that the Pharisees required. And the, the point of that is not that his money is saving him. The point is that Jesus has saved him and it's changed his relationship to money. He's no longer worshiping money. Money is not the thing that he wants more than anything else. Jesus has changed his life. And so now money is not his idol and his oppressor. He now has dominion over his, his, his money and his possessions, and he has the freedom to give it away. That's, in this story, it's a sign of a changed heart. It's not the, he doesn't pay his way into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus saves him out of his sin, but when he's saved, his life is changed, and he gives generously. I, John Reed Miller was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, and he often said to me, um, Ligon, uh, one of the last things that is converted in a Christian is his wallet. And, and I've found that to be true over the years. It's a, it, it is a hard thing to get dominion over your possessions and learn to be generous in the way that the Lord calls us to be generous. And the, the, the change in Zacchaeus here is meant to be a picture to us that Jesus has changed his heart. Uh, this man who just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus got a whole lot more than he was bargaining for. Jesus has actually changed his life. Now, sadly, the reaction of the people in Jericho 
is very, very negative to all this. It, look at how they react in verse 7. When Jesus meets Zacchaeus, calls him by name, says that he has to go to his house, the reaction is very negative. Look at verse 7. When they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, I want you to contrast that to something. Look back to the very last verse of Luke 18. When the blind man was given sight in Luke 18, 43, you read, all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So in Jericho, when the blind man gets his sight, the reaction is very positive to what Jesus has done. And they, and they give praise to God. They worship God because the blind man has been given his sight. But when Zacchaeus, when Jesus goes into the home of Zacchaeus, that is not the reaction. They, we're told they all grumbled. Now, why? Well, because they hated Zacchaeus. You know, they, they felt that they had, they had been betrayed and defrauded by this man, and they hated him. So th they were quite happy for Jesus to give the blind man sight. But when Zacchaeus was changed and Jesus went in to be with him, they were not so happy about it. And, and by the way, this happens a number of times in the Gospels, doesn't it? And, and, it, and it's important to note, uh, for instance, when the prodigal son comes, comes home in that story, is, is the elder brother happy about that? Not at all. He, you know, he, he's over in the corner, you know, Dad, I never acted like that, and you've never thrown me a party like this. There's a, there is a, he's not happy at all about the prodigal son coming home. And, and in the Gospels, it's almost like the Gospel writer is pointing to the reaction of certain people and saying, don't be that guy. Don't, don't be that guy. Don't react like that. Don't, don't react like that when, this, when the grace of God operates in a surprising way. Don't, don't stand there with your arm folded mad about it. Rejoice that God has saved an unlikely candidate for redemption. And I, that's a lesson for all of us. You know, I think there, there's some people that we are, you know, we're all excited about when the Lord does the work in their lives. And then other people, mm, we're not so sure. I, I can remember uh, right after 9-11, uh, the, the, when, when the, the World Trade Center had been brought down by the airplanes and the Pentagon had been struck, and we had people in our congregation that were nearby when all of that happened, and, you know, the world sort of stopped for a few weeks, and uh, we couldn't do conferences. Our missions conference was delayed at the seminary. Um, we had John Piper come in to preach the missions conference. It's probably, it was, it was pretty soon after airplanes started flying again, so sometime in a month or so after 9-11. And, um, during the missions conference, one of the things that, that Piper called on our students, he said, I want to call uh, on those of you that are considering, first of all, I'm, I said I want to call on you to consider missions, but I also want to call on those of you who are already considering missions to consider going to a closed Muslim country. And I remember my heart was not thinking about reaching out to Muslims at that time. 
You know, I was, playing, I was praying imprecatory prayers after 9-11. And, and, and John Piper in a prayer said, Lord, if we, if we need to send the best and brightest of our children to close Muslim countries to die so that a billion Muslims will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to know him savingly, then, Lord, we want to send our children. And I remember, boy, that was not the attitude of my heart after 9-11. Well, that, that, that's kind of what we're being shown here. You know, they're grumbling when Jesus shows up at the home of this notorious sinner. But the Lord has done a remarkable work here. And, and our, our attitude ought to be, if, if they praise God for blind Bartimaeus getting his sight, they really ought to praise God for Zacchaeus. You know, interestingly, the reaction of Christians to Paul's conversion was pretty similar. They were, they were a little dubious about Paul because he had been a persecutor of the Christian church, and they weren't real sure that they could trust that transformation. That's what's going on here. Um, the story is, is sort of turning the camera back us, on, on us and asking what, how do our hearts respond when we see notorious and unlikely candidates dramatically changed by Jesus? Do we grumble or do we rejoice? So there we've seen this unlikely candidate and this dramatic conversion and this sad reaction. But of course, the main point of this whole story is to focus on Jesus. And I want you to see the seeking Savior with a glorious purpose in this passage. First, look at verse 5. Jesus comes looking for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but Jesus wants to save Zacchaeus. And so he's looking for him. And it's it's a beautiful thing. You remember when Jesus uh, tells us that he came to seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel? That's what's going on in this passage. In fact, Bible commentators that know the book of Luke well will say this may be the culminating story in the gospel of Luke to explain Jesus' mission. He came to seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And uh, So, in the story, though Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, Jesus already has greater purposes for Zacchaeus, and so he seeks him out. And then, if you would look with me in verse 9, Jesus will say, and it's a a strange thing that he says. He says, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, normally when you're with a host… You don't speak in the third person, right? You speak in the second person, you. And suddenly he says, today salvation, presumably he's looking at Zacchaeus when he says this, today salvation has come to this house for he also is the son of Abraham. It's like he's speaking to other people who are listening in. Maybe those people who are grumbling are somewhere within earshot of what is going on. And Jesus is explaining to them what has happened. Zacchaeus is a lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
But by the work of God's grace through Jesus Christ, he is now a true son of Abraham. And so he's explaining to the people that are listening in what has happened. And then, of course, look at verse 10. Here's his direct explanation. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come to save righteous people because there are no righteous people. But here's the problem. So many in Israel view themselves as righteous. They viewed Zacchaeus as a sinner. So much of a sinner, he was beyond God's grace. They viewed themselves as righteous. In other words, they were like the Pharisee that went into the temple in Luke 8, 18, and they were like the rich young ruler. They, they thought they were in pretty good spiritual shape. They didn't view themselves as lost sheep of the house of Israel. They didn't view themselves in need of being sought and saved. But that is exactly what Jesus did. And so he comes to Zacchaeus to demonstrate his purpose in the world, to seek and save that which is lost. And all of us here, especially those of us who are in church, need to remember, if the Lord doesn't seek us and save us, we won't be found. All of us need the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us. Even those of us who come to church. Um, we, he, he, he needs to seek the lost and keep the found. And sometimes he needs to go out and reseek those who have been found because we can get lost along the way. I love Psalm 119. You know, for 175 verses, the psalmist basically says, Man, the Bible is great. It teaches me how to live. And then have you ever noticed the last verse of Psalm 119? Psalm 119, 176 says this. I've strayed. Seek your servant. Isn't that amazing? 175 verses of, man, the Bible's great. It teaches me how to live. Last verse, I've strayed. Seek your servant. We all need to be sought by Jesus. Some of you listen to the music of Andrew Peterson. I love his songs. One of them is a song to his son. And he, and he says, son, you're going to grow up and you're going to get lost. And, and when you do, seek the old paths. Well, here, here's the good news. When we grow up and get lost, we have a Savior who seeks and saves the lost. All of us need to hear that message. Even all of us who are dressed up nice and in church on Sunday morning, we all need to know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, including us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would bring this truth home to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.